Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GVC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. chapter 10, Ephesians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 10. And as you're turning there, I'll just talk talk at you for just a moment. Uh, In regards to these times that we're coming together in these next uh, few weeks, uh, I said to you that what we're going to be ministering on and and teaching on is the authority of a believer or the authority that a uh, member of the body of Christ possesses through Christ Jesus. Now, We're going to spend a number of weeks talking about these things. And one of the things that I noticed just as of late, you know, we did a series just recently called Breaking the Back of Lack. Many of you will be familiar with that. And that was probably one of the longest series that I did. And actually, there was other things that I wanted to get into, but I could just tell that people were getting a little restless with the topic. But here's the thing. Even though we continued with the same topic or title, Every week really had a different application and things that were practically applied and spiritually applied from different facets of our lives and our walk with God. And so even though we're coming together and consistently talking about the authority of the believer, don't let that get you settled in your seat and think, oh, we're just talking about this again. Because every time that we come together, you're going to begin to hear something new that is applicable. In fact, tonight, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is some things that you've heard about over the years, you've sang about over the years, and maybe it's one of those things that you thought, well, I just don't understand the significance of it. But the first thing that we're going to look at in regards to the authority of the believer is the blood of Jesus. Now, in talking about that, once again, we we might look at that and think, well, I remember when we sang about the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. You remember that song? There's nothing like the blood or there's power in the blood. And and we sang those old songs, but throughout the years, we just kind of gotten, oh, just dull and just really ignorant as to the power and the significance to what the blood of Jesus means to the life of a believer. And once you begin to understand what the blood of Jesus was for and what it is for, your faith can begin to exercise from a whole different place because you understand, oh, the blood of Jesus was shed. I can apply the blood of Jesus to my life. And from that place, we can walk in victory consistently not being beat up by the devil, not being beat up by life, even though life is going to happen, right? And so are you there in Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 17. This is the prayer that the Apostle Paul was praying for the church of Ephesus. And if you've been around here any length of time, we've talked about these prayers and we pray these often for our church as well. But it begins in verse 17. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him or of Jesus. So the very first thing that he says, I pray that not only do you have wisdom, but you have revelation knowledge that is applicable to change your life. And this revelation is in who Jesus is. 
Now it's going to tell us a little bit more as to what expands or opens up concerning the revelation of him. Because again, much of our revelation or our knowledge of Jesus is, well, he went to the cross. Yeah, I know he was on earth. He did some miracles. Some say, well, he was God on the earth. And they have all these ideas as to who Jesus was. But it goes to the extent of, well, he died on the cross. But there's so much more. The Bible says that we would have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. That we would know what is the hope of his calling. So now he also says this, that in knowing him, there is a calling that is applicable to my life. And I'm beginning to not only have wisdom, but I'm beginning to have revelation of that. What's my calling? Well, one of my callings is that I am to be victorious and have authority as a child of God, not being beat up, not being beat down, but walking in the victory of Christ. That's my call. And then he goes on to say this. He says, and what is or what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So to have wisdom and revelation of who Jesus is, is to understand that there is an inheritance that he made available to us as believers. So just think about that. I mean, have you, uh, please don't misunderstand how I'm saying this, but have you ever thought like, There's coming a day when somebody's going to pass away. And there's going to be an inheritance. Well, what will that look like for my life? You know, well, maybe, you know, again, understand my my point, but just looking at it, well, if mom and dad have a house, well, that means we're going to have to sell the house. Well, if we sell the house, that means we get some money. Does that make sense? And not that you're looking at it from that perspective. I'm saying there's an inheritance. Or if mom and dad had a, a, a retirement fund, Well, all of a sudden, that inheritance comes into the life of their children. Well, the Bible says that Jesus has an inheritance, and there's an inheritance that's in the saints or you and me. How many of you know what it is? Or maybe this is the first time you're hearing about it, like, dear God, I've got an inheritance? Yeah, you do. And once you start knowing what that is, you can start to walk in the light of that. And here's the thing. The Bible says this. How can there be an inheritance unless there has been a testator? A testator is one that has died or gives testament or gives uh, uh, what belongs to the testament to those who are living. Well, listen, Jesus has died. And so because he died, everything that was his is now become ours. Now you say, well, what is it? Well, just hang on. Keep coming back and you'll find out. All right, he goes on to say this in verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Now notice this. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which raised Christ or worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So once again, let's break that down. He says, the power that raised Christ from the dead. 
the greatest miracle that ever was, the greatest display of power was when Christ was raised from the dead. But the Bible says that God made that power available toward us as believers. Now, what's part of that power? Notice what it says here. That God raised him and seated him. Put him in a seat far above all principalities and powers and dominion. Every work of the devil, the Bible says that God has seated him far above. Do you know the whole purpose of the cross was not through the hands of man, but it was through the work of the enemy? In fact, the Bible says this, had they known that they crucified the Prince of Peace, they would have never done it. Who's they? The Romans? No. It was all the little devils that were behind it because they didn't realize that once they crucified Christ and he was raised from the dead, all this power and authority was given to the body of Christ, you and me. And then he says that he put all things under his feet and made us to be joint heirs with him. For he is the head and we are the body. Well, let me ask you this. On your physical body, did any of you leave your head at the house? No, you brought your head with you, right? You didn't just come here with your head and sit it down beside you and then go to the grocery store after you left your head here, did you? No, it's a, it's a package deal, right? You can't separate the head from the body. And the Bible has told us that Jesus is the head and we are the body and we make up the fullness of who he is. So where is Jesus? Jesus has been seated at the right hand of the Father in the position of power and authority far above all principalities and power. And so therefore, if he's seating there, doesn't it make sense that you're probably sitting there as well? Well, now don't just take my word for it. Let's drop down to chapter 2, verse 6. He goes on to say, and he raised us. Who's us? The body, the the body of Christ. He has raised us together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Didn't say he's going to. Didn't say one day we will. It says when he was raised, we were raised. When he sat down, we sat down because we're together with him as the body of Christ. So here's part of the revelation and the wisdom that we need to grab hold of is that when it comes to Jesus working against the enemy or the enemy working against the body of Christ, do you realize that Satan is already defeated and he cannot do anything to overtake, overcome Jesus because Jesus is already at the, on the throne, right? Well, if he can't do that to Jesus, then what makes us think that he can do that to us? Because we're seated together with him. And therefore, when The enemy messes with you and you step up, puff your chest up and say, what do you think you're doing? All of a sudden he realizes, oh, I'm messing with somebody that knows who they are. Now, maybe just a couple weeks ago, he messed with you all day and all night. But in between a couple weeks ago and today, you found out some things. And you turned around and bucked back and the devil said, whoo, what happened between the last two weeks? Oh, I just started getting some revelation knowledge of who I am in Christ. I just began to find out where I'm seated. Not where I'm going to be seated, but where I am seated with Christ. And that's at the right hand of the Father, far above. 
Amen. And the Bible says that he's put all things under his feet. So where is he in your life? He's under your feet. But we live this life as a Christian so many times as though the devil's got our neck under his foot. And it's just the opposite. And the reason why we go through life feeling like and living like the devil's got his foot on our throat is because we've never learned our authority that we have as a believer. And we just let him do whatever he wants to do. I mean, think, I I don't know about you, but if somebody was to come in my house and, and, and try to hurt my children or my wife, I mean, they would have to deal with me. I mean, I would go down fighting. I would fight to the death if that's what was needed because you're not going to come into my house, right? So why do we just sit down and say, okay, devil, whatever you want to do. You want to mess with my kids? You want to mess with my marriage? You want to mess with my money? Okay, go ahead and do it, whatever you want to do. Poor me. I wish God would do something. He's like, no, you are in a place of authority. And when you begin to learn who you are, what you have, then you can begin to change the landscape of your circumstances. Amen? Amen. Well, you must be listening good because I haven't even got off my first line here. So <laughs> this is going to be a good time of teaching. I hope, I hope that you come hungry. I hope you come thinking, oh, dear God, that's good stuff. I never heard that, never saw that about me because it will radically change your life. Amen. All right, so... One thing that's significant about Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and therefore God himself is seated on the throne. Well, what is it that God is constantly in view of? What God is constantly in view of is the mercy seat in heaven. And on the mercy seat is the blood of Jesus. Therefore, 24-7, every day, throughout all eternity, or since Jesus has went to the cross, God has constantly been in view of the blood of Jesus. And it constantly reminds him of his mercy that he has on man. But Jesus is seated right next to him. So do you know who else is in constant view? Jesus is. Jesus is, and therefore the Bible says that he's ever making intercession for us, right? So there's times he's got, hey, Father, I want to remind you of the blood. (laughs) There's the blood. You've got to give mercy. But if Jesus and the Father are in constant view, and there is a constant reminder of the mercy of God through the blood that sits on the mercy seat, if we're seated at the right hand of the Father, then that must mean that we have to have and must have a constant awareness of the blood of Jesus, of what it was applied for, what it means to our life. Now, just to, to give you a little backstory, remember I said that it, the blood is on the mercy seat? Do you recall when Jesus was raised from the dead and he was no longer in the tomb and Mary came to see him. And she's crying because she sees an empty tomb and he comes up and begins to talk to her and she don't recognize him. Remember that? And he says, why do you weep? And she tells him. And then all of a sudden her eyes were opened and she recognized it was Jesus. And do you recall what Jesus said right then and there? He says, don't touch me. 
He says, for I've not a yet, I have not yet ascended to heaven. What did that mean? It means that don't touch me physically. Don't, don't taint my resurrected body because I have not taken the blood to the mercy seat yet. If you recall, once he came back, his disciples touched him. He was seen by 500 individuals, right? He lived life among, he broke bread with them. But the reason why she couldn't touch him is because he still needed to take the blood to the mercy seat for us. Amen. And so we've got a purpose to continually remind ourselves of what the blood represents. If you're taking notes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 18, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So we were redeemed or purchased or purchased back by the blood of Jesus. Now, it talks about the precious blood or without blemish. Now, let's give you some backstory in, in the event that you're not familiar. Many of us, again, were familiar with the story of Jesus being born of a virgin. And that's as far as it goes to our understanding. You know, the Holy Spirit came down and told Mary, you're, you're going to conceive a child, and she was. Joseph was like the stepdad, but never was really the, the real dad, and so on and so forth. But here's the reason why. Jesus came to be 100% man. And the woman was the vessel to make that possible. But the seed of a man is where the blood of a human being comes from. Why was it that man, that man needed the sacrifice of the blood? It was because the blood had been tainted through sin. So, when she was conceived by the Holy Spirit, it was not of the seed of man. So, the physical side of Jesus was 100% man, but the bloodline was from God himself. And that's why the blood was perfect. That's why back in the Old Testament, when they would make the sacrifice of, uh, sacrifice of blood, the blood of goats and, and, and animals... They would have to do it year after year after year because it was just a covering of the sin. But when Jesus came and brought the spotless sacrifice, it not only covered it, it removed the sin. Amen. It removed the sin. And that's why we as believers, again, this is part of that inheritance, that's part of that revelation, that when we come to know who we are in Christ, that I am not just a sinner saved by grace. No, I am blood bought by the blood of Jesus, and I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen? And so, therefore, when I'm standing before God, I don't have to stand before Him with some kind of inferior feeling no i am made righteous before god because of the blood of jesus and all the guilt all the past in fact we don't have a sin problem in the world so many people will say well what is it that keeps people from going to heaven 
Sin. Nope, it's not sin. There is not a sin problem in the earth because sin has been eradicated. Sin has been dealt with through the blood of Jesus. The only thing that remains is what does man do with the sacrifice that covered and redeemed man from sin. Amen? So your past, your failure, that's why you can never do something too big to disappoint God because the blood of Jesus covers it all. Amen? I'm telling you, the blood of Jesus begins to help us understand how to have faith in God. There's a significance to understand how we've been purchased. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We've been redeemed. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, it says, Whom whom God hath set forth uh, to be a propitiation through faith, in his blood to declare uh, his righteousness for the remission of sin that, uh, that are past through the forbearance of God. Let me read it again. Who God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So notice the Bible says that the blood takes care of the past. But it says that Jesus became a propitiation. How many of you know what the word propitiation means? (laughs) I didn't know. I had to look it up. Here's what propitiation means. A restoration to fellowship. A restoration of favor through faith in the blood. Do you recall that when Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, that was the perfect example of God walking with man. Now, we've often said this and it had been taught this. Well, God got mad at Adam and Eve and kicked them out of the garden. He didn't. He didn't kick them out of the garden to punish them. Do you realize that had they lived in the garden, the tree of life was still there. Therefore, in sin, they were fallen and separated from God. If they remained in the garden and partook of the tree of life, they would have lived forever in throughout eternity in a fallen, sinful nature, not being able to be restored to God. So God had to remove them from the garden and then kickstart the restoration process. And do you remember the Bible said the very first thing that God did once they realized that they were naked? What did he do? He shed blood, made skins or took skins of, uh, skins of animals and clothed them, right? So he covered them, but there had to be a shedding of blood to cover them. And so what Jesus came to do was to restore that fellowship that God had originally created from the very foundations of the world to restore them to fellowship, to restore them to favor. Come on, if you could understand something, that God's not mad at you. I'm a pastor, and sometimes I have to wrestle with that. Man, let God down. Man, God's disappointed. Man, blew it, God. The mercy of God, the favor of God through the blood of Jesus, God does not look at me that way. He looks at me as though... I'm his top one agent, man. He don't look at the mess-ups, the failures. Especially when I ask him for forgiveness. I say, God, man, I messed up again. He's like, what are you talking about? Well, you know, I did it again, God. He said, what do you mean again? I don't know what you're talking about. Why? Because when I ask for forgiveness, the blood eradicates the past. 
and God does not have any memory. I wish my wife was like that sometimes. <laughs> you remember when? <laughs> so propitiation, what Jesus came to do, the shedding of blood was to restore our fellowship with God. To restore the favor. Andrew Murray said this, to enjoy the blessing or to enjoy this blessing, nothing is needed except faith in the blood. The blood alone has done everything. We now have fellowship. Amen. In Exodus, you can look this up, but in Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, he said, let us meet at the mercy seat. This is Old Covenant, Old Testament, and God says, hey, listen, I want to meet with you. I want to connect with you, but I want to do it at the mercy seat. What was the mercy seat in the Old Covenant? It is where they took the blood. So what's God saying today? He says, I want to meet with you. I want to meet with you. And the reason we can meet together and have fellowship is because of the blood. Because of the blood. Man, I am as close to God as Jesus himself because of the blood. Man, Billy Graham, he must be a great man of God. Listen, you have as much fellowship and closeness with God as Billy Graham or whoever else you esteem highly because of the blood. Amen. God has made it available for us to be restored. Amen. Today, our mercy seat is wherever we have faith in the blood, wherever we draw close to him through the blood. In Hebrews chapter 10, I told you to turn there uh, when we started, but Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. You doing okay? Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living... Now, listen to these words. All those things that we were starting to talk about, listen to these words and connect the dots to some of the things that we were just mentioning. Let me start in verse 19 again. It says, Therefore, brethren... Brethren, talking to the body of Christ. Therefore, brethren having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that which he consecrated for us through, uh, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice what it says here, to come boldly. Come boldly because our hearts have been sprinkled. Sprinkled by what? The blood. Amen. Back in the old covenant, when it came time for the atoning of sin, the priest would give the call and he would have the blood and he would dip his, whatever you call it, his, the hyssop or whatever, and he would sling blood over the whole congregation. I mean, you come out of church looking like a bloody mess. But everybody knew you just went to church. Why? Because the blood was applied. And every time somebody came out of the church and the blood was applied, I'm forgiven. I'm right with God. And the Bible says that Jesus became the one that brought about the fellowship because you were sprinkled with the blood. And therefore, it gives us boldness to come into the holy place or His presence. Come on, boldness. Now, without a raising of hands, 
how many of us have went to prayer to ask God to do something or ask God for something or you even came to church and you felt like the weight of the world was on your shoulders and you just felt like you were just a bum and thought, dear God, it's, it's a wonder lightning hasn't struck me yet. You ever felt that way? Just felt like, man, you're so dirty and just felt like, man, God. I mean, let's say you walk into church and you feel like everybody sees it. Everybody's looking at me because I, mean, I just feel so, ugh. But through the blood of Jesus, it don't matter what happened yesterday, last week. You can come into church having boldness. I belong here. Oh, yeah? Well, what'd you do? It don't matter what I did last night. The blood of Jesus. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. I apply the blood of Jesus to my life. And, oh, I've got fellowship and favor with God. And I come to church boldly. I get into the presence of God boldly. I come into prayer boldly. And, God, I can ask you boldly. Amen. Have you ever again prayer, prayed and when you prayed, you're like, God, I don't know that if I, I don't think I'm worthy enough to even ask you for this. I don't know if I qualify, God, but I'm going to go ahead and just throw a Hail Mary and ask you anyways. Well, why do you pray that way? Because you don't feel like you're qualified. But the blood of Jesus already qualified you. And he says, when you come, come boldly. <laughs> yeah, I can get in God's face. Because he said, I can come that way. Amen? Because of the blood of Jesus. All right, you doing all right? Let me give you just a couple more points and we'll wind her down. Once again, Andrew Murray, he said this. He said, to have faith in the blood, again, is your meeting place. How many of you know that you can't have a meeting with God and stay the same? I said, you can't have a meeting with God and come out looking the same way. Right? It changes you. Every time we spend time with God, it changes us. You can't get in the presence of God and stay in a position of poverty and lack. Because there's no lack in God's presence. I mean, it changed the way you think. It changed the way you look at things. Amen? I, well, well, we'll get there another time. Woo! Praise the Lord. (laughs) Andrew Murray once again said this, Faith is largely dependent on knowledge. If your knowledge of what the blood can do or what it has accomplished, and if it's not accurate, then your faith expects little, and the the more more powerful effects are limited. If you're... Knowledge of the blood of Jesus is limited or incorrect. You'll expect little. Why? Because once again, the blood of Jesus is what settled everything for us to be back in a relationship with God. It settles everything. Now, with that being said, Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says this, And they, who's they? Speaking of the church or the believer. And they overcame him. Who's him? The enemy. The devil. He's your adversary. And if you don't think you have an adversary, well, i got news for you. He's out to get you every day of your life. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto death. 
How did they overcome? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Every day when we go to school, when I take my girls, when we're driving down the road, I say, Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus over that school. And therefore, there is no harm that comes to my children or any other kid in that class or in that school. And you'll always have somebody say, well, you just never know. Well, listen, I never found in my Bible yet where it says you just never know. My Bible says that no harm shall come nigh my dwelling. The Bible says that he'll bless and protect and take care of mine. Amen? And I plead the blood of Jesus every time we go to school. There's a bloodline, and the enemy can't cross it. Why? Because I'm purposing to make it my testimony. I overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. The Bible says this in Isaiah 43. You doing okay? Can you give me five more minutes? Okay, for those two that said yes, then I'll, I'll keep going for you too. <laughs> I'm going to wind this down. I just, I want to get to this final point here. In Isaiah 43, starting in verse 25, it says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own name's sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. Plead your case that you may be acquitted. It says, plead your case. How many of you from the old school church where we talked about or you heard, just plead the blood of Jesus. You ever heard that terminology? We don't so much hear about that anymore or say it so much. But really, it is applicable. And what it's doing is taking a legal stance with God that says, I plead the blood of Jesus. And when you plead the, plead the blood of Jesus, it ends all the arguments. Amen? What are you doing? You're saying, I'm applying the blood of Jesus. Whatever's going on in this circumstance, the blood of Jesus covers it. Now, I said that it was a legal term, or if I didn't say it, it the word pleading is a legal term. So in a court, notice in Isaiah, God said, plead your case together with me. So he's going to bat for you. Jesus is going to bat for you. And he's just wanting you to know and have revelation of your inheritance in what belongs to you as a child of God. He's wanting you to understand your authority as a believer and not just lay down and take whatever the devil throws at you. He's pleading with you. Here's what the definition in a legal term of pleading is. It's a tongue twister, so forgive me if I get a little tongue-tied. Pleading is, in law, the mutual altercation between the plaintiff and the defendant, or a written statement of the parties in support of their claim, comprehending the declaration, the the counts or narrations of the plaintiff, the plea of the defendants in reply, and the replication of the plaintiff to the defendant's plea. The defendant's rejoinder, then the plaintiff's sur-rejoinder to the defendant's rebuttal. And then the plaintiff's sur-rebuttal till the question is brought down to the issue that is at rest on one single point. So how, this is how that works. The devil comes and he's the accuser of the brethren. And you stand up and say, well, I just want to submit into evidence the stripes of Jesus. And so the devil comes back with another rebuttal. And you stand up and you say, well, listen. I want to plead the blood of Jesus. 
And the enemy goes to rebuttal again, and he's like, I have nothing. It was brought down to one single point. He will accuse you. He will call you out. He will make you feel as though you're unworthy. But when you come to the understanding and the wisdom and the revelation of what Jesus did and what the blood applies and is applied to your life, it comes to the one final point. The blood settles it all. Devil, I win. Amen? Case closed. Hebrews chapter 13, and I'll finish with this this here. Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 20, it says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and to whom be, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus' blood settles it. And God has a purpose and a plan and a will for your life. And that's for you to be victorious. Several years ago, we did a church fishing trip. There was about 16 guys that went and one of the guys was one of those shady guys. So, well, you know what? We, we try to reach out to everybody, you know? And so there's always going to be one of those shady ones. And the shady ones always tend to sit to the side, you know? I mean, just, I mean. <laughs> there's always a shady one in the bunch, you know? But there, he, was just, he had a shady pass. And so we went up to Canada. And so we're ha- having to check in. It was before you had passports and everything. Had to give him your license. And so they asked him, they said, do you have a criminal background? And he says, well, he said, I've got this. And they said, well, if you've got that on your record, I don't remember what it was. They said, in, in the country of Canada, that is considered a felony. And therefore, if that's on your record, we can't let you in. And our mouths all dropped open. I mean, we've been driving for hours to get to the border of Canada. And here's this one knothead that's got a past that potentially could keep us all from going on the fishing trip. And so they're looking up on the computer. And they can't find it. See, what the blood of Jesus does is it expunges you. See, it's not a matter of just considering you innocent of the crime yet still carrying around the record. That's what a lot of believers do. We know that we're innocent. We know that Jesus forgave us, but we walk around with the heaviness of the thing that we did wrong. But when you go to court and they expunge it, to expunge it means they remove it entirely from your record as though it never existed. And so here we are at Canada. And they're like, We can't find it. It's not in here. So I don't know if it was supernaturally. I don't know if he forgot about it or whatever. But it was expunged. It was no longer on his record. So therefore, we were granted access. The blood of Jesus expunges you from your past and gives you access into everything that Jesus said belongs to you. And One of them is your authority. Amen? Amen. Good stuff. Praise God. All right.
as we've, we've made it our custom in the past, give me some things. If, if, if something stood out, something that just, man, that was good, give me some feedback. What would you learn tonight? The blood erases all. Amen. That's right. That's right. The devil's under our feet because we're in Christ. We're not under his feet. He's in the, that position. Amen. Yeah? Amen. When I plead the blood, I overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. And my testimony is as the blood covers it all. Amen. 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 <laughs> I'll do my best, man. (laughs) Amen. Hey, listen, that's one of those things that it's not a matter of just, I mean, obviously man has to deliver the word, but man, when you get revelation of the word, that's what lights you up. It's not the preaching of man. It's the word of God. It's like, wow, I didn't know that that was available. I didn't know that was in that book. You mean that belongs to me? It begins to change something on the inside because revelation's coming. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray and I'll let you go. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for everyone that's here tonight. I pray that, Lord, we walk away having something, have learned something. And, God, we do. We just plead the blood of Jesus over our life, over our families, over our church, over this community in Jesus' name. And we just love you and thank you. And everyone said subscribe to this podcast and take a look at all of our social media sites which can be found at our website gvchurch.tv we know that today's message has been a blessing to you thanks for listening we are genesee valley church loving god loving people and loving life